There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. JBR Capital has sponsored the Intercooler podcast for several months now. You've probably heard me talk about the company before. In that time, I've come to really understand what it is that makes JBR Capital different to other car finance companies. If I had to boil it down to one thing, I'd say it's this. Car finance is all JBR Capital does. Might sound like a minor detail, that, but in fact, it's really important. It means JBR Capital has a profound understanding of the car marketplace and of car buyers, an understanding that other finance companies could only hope to have. In fact, that very focused approach is exactly why the company was started in the first place. We recently had Darren Seelig, founder of JBR Capital, on the podcast, episode 106, if you want to go back and listen. And he explained that he started the company when he realized that general finance lenders actually didn't understand cars or car buyers particularly well at all. So he spotted that gap in the market and he founded JBR Capital to fill it. So before you buy your next car, be it a supercar, sports car, classic car, a hypercar, or a luxury car, even if it's a brand new car, go and see what JBR Capital can do for you on the finance side. And it really helps us if you tell them that the intercooler sent you. JBR Capital is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Welcome to episode 114 of the podcast, everybody. I'm Dan Prosser. Not with Andrew Frankel this week. Um, he's he's taking a well-deserved break. He'll be back next week. So standing in for him, and what a super sub we've got. Henry Catchpole, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much indeed. I'm delighted to be here. I shall um, um, attempt to do um, half as good a job as, as, as Andrew does. And so. <laughs> uh, well, so you'll all know Henry. Um, he writes a piece a week for the Intercooler, um, and we're very pleased to have him writing a piece a week for us. Um, he spent the best part of a century at Evo. Um, he's now at Carfection, uh, where they recently passed a million subscribers. So before we get started, congratulations, Henry. That really is quite a feat. Um, pleased with that? Yes. Yeah, very pleased. It's, it's one of those things I think we, because we tend not to follow the YouTube sort of way of doing things necessarily in terms of the, the films we put out and we try not to sort of spoil things by asking people to like and subscribe um, <laughs> at every second. So it feels all the more sort of special, I suppose, that we have actually um, reached that milestone. So yes, it's um, yeah, nice milestone to have reached. <laughs> Good. Well done. So we're talking on the Monday after a weekend of motorsport. Um, Le Mans and the Azerbaijan Azerbaijan Grand Prix, excuse me, and Baku. So we'll discuss those. Um, we're not going to hang around t- too long on those because 
They weren't necessarily fascinating, were they? Um, but then we will come on to the form of motorsport that Henry's actually interested in, um, and we'll talk a little bit about him as well, his his background in car journalism, what he's up to these days, and so on. Um, to get things underway then, 24 Hours of Le Mans, um, the 90th running. You had it on in the background um, all weekend, I understand, because your boy is obsessed with it. Um, so it seems like almost free childcare for 24 hours, just plonking in front of the TV. Um, so you were dipping in and out, weren't you? It was quite a long 24 hours this year, wasn't it? Yeah, if that makes sense, but I know what you mean. Um, so a Toyota win, fifth in a row. Uh, well done, Toyota. Congratulations. It's an achievement. They're yet to beat another major manufacturer at Le Mans, but they all count nonetheless. They do all count, don't they? Um, and as we saw sort of in other categories, um, anything can happen in the race and you have to, as, as Toyota knows, only too well. <laughs> That's <laughs> um, a good point. You have to do all 24 hours. I was there that year and um, standing there waiting to sort of see the procession across the line and remember the well, the um, consternation as the Toyota pulled up outside the mm. pits with, a, with a lap to go. Um, so yes, you do have to do the full race distance, and um, and they did, but um, it it wasn't the most exciting race from from that perspective. Yeah, and it's you know people often say that there are other categories and there's good racing in those, and that's it's true. But we want to see the fastest cars going at it, hammer and tongs, don't we, for twenty four hours? Um, and the reality is, the Toyota is just in a league of its own. Um, ahead of the only other hypercar entrant um, this time around, which is the Glickenhaus um, and the Alpine, which is actually a grandfathered LMP1 car, isn't it? So, I mean, it was always Toyota's to lose. It never looked like Toyota was going to lose this one. Um, and so, sadly, that just didn't make for the most gripping race at the front of the field. Um, do you know what, though? I'm, I'm really pleased, particularly for Brendan Hartley, um, who was one of the winners this time around. I remember watching him years ago, in the European Le Mans series um, when he was driving for Murphy, Murphy Prototypes, and he was visibly quicker than anybody else on track. He was a superstar back then. You could just tell that he was a sensational driver. After that, he had his torrid time in Formula One um, with Toro Rosso. He was unceremoniously dumped on the Red Bull young driver heap um, after, I think he did 20-something Grand Prix. So he didn't have much of a, a Formula One career to speak of. He's now a triple Le Mans winner. Yeah. He had a good time at Porsche, didn't he? Um, yeah. At 919. So he did have time. And he was, like you say, in that car, he really was very quick. And he's so visibly mm. quick and occasionally sort of too quick for his own good in many respects and pushed that mm. car harder than it, it wanted to be pushed. But um, but yeah, as you say, it was, it was really nice to see him take that and actually that sort of links into one of the the best things from the whole weekend actually was the the hyper pole that they do yeah. for Le Mans now which I thought was absolutely brilliant sort of for a, a really nice snapshot of just how amazing those cars um you can look uh, around Le Mans and sort of a really great look at the circuit as well and there was um I'm sure it would have um, riled Tiff Nadell but some all sorts of um, tracks limits um uh, infringements which was was a bit irritating because it then sort of kept thinking, oh you've got it you've got it and it, was, it all seemed to be out of that last Ford chicane as well so they could put in an entire lap it was a bit like the 24 oh. hours itself in miniature because they could put in an entire lap and then just out of that last chicane um you know over over the edge and that was it time deleted uh so but there was it was a really 
you know, Brendan put in a fantastic lap, as did um, Nick Tandy, who will probably come on to in a, in a, mm. with, a with a Corvette as well to take pole in GTE Pro. Yeah, so we will come on to that. Um, Brendan Hartley did set the pole time um, and then he went on to win the race. So he's 32 years old. He's won it three times. Um, I mean, if he chooses to, he could probably race on for another decade, maybe longer. We've seen drivers at Le Mans, even in the fastest cars, drive into their 40s. So, I mean, he could go on if he finds himself in the right team over the next few years. He could win five or six or more, maybe. Um, Although we know that we've got many more manufacturers on the way. And so hopefully that will bring depth of competition. And hopefully we won't see one team or one manufacturer dominating um, in years to come. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Glickenhaus. Uh, They finished third behind the two Toyotas. Um, Glickenhaus's first podium at Le Mans. Big achievement for a small outfit. Although, again... There, there just isn't depth of competition at the moment. And so all they've done is beat the other Glickenhaus and the grandfathered Alpine. Um, nonetheless, as we've said, you have to get to the end. Um, and they did. And I'm really pleased with Jim Glickenhaus, who we've spent some time with. Um, huge petrol head. Motorsport fanatic. Um, I remember him spending several days in a rickety prefab building at Blyton Park um, for Evo Track Car of the Year. We were both there. And he's, he was just very humble and quite happy to sit around for days on end and chat. Um, and I'm he's a pleased for him. Guy, isn't he? yeah. He's a guy, Yeah, and it's, um, it's really nice to see that sort of story at Le Mans as well, I think. Um, yeah, you, you, there have been so many of them down the years and it's, it's what makes Le Mans so fascinating, I think, is that sort of people... It does somehow seem, despite being this sort of absolute sort of upper echelon of motorsport, somehow more achievable for for more people. Somehow, I think. Mm. Um, and um, yes, he's obviously brought a huge amount of money into it. And but it, it's um, as you say, fascinating cars. Great to see them on the grids. Um, livens the whole thing up, and and it's a gives you a bit of an, an underdog to to cheer for as well. And and yeah, you, you never know what might happen. They stood on a podium at Le Mans, which is. Yeah. is fantastic and i think as well it's one of those things we'll look back on in in years to come and you'll sort of you'll say oh you remember the, the glickenhaus when they were sort of oh they were really cool weren't they and so mm. they did get a podium and um so yeah i think that's uh, uh nice to to have them there and um i hope they they keep going so you referenced it earlier maybe the big flashpoint of the 24 hours um the incident that took out the lead uh, gte pro car the corvette um Oof. Nick Tandy, Alex Sims was in the car, wasn't he? And Tommy Miller. Um, and it was the LMP2 car that jinked across on the Mulsanne uh, into the front corner and wiped out the, the Corvette into the barrier out of the race. Um, Francois Perodo was the driver of the LMP2 car. I don't, I don't know the chap, but he's got a presence on Instagram and I've gone back and forth with him on Instagram. Likewise, yeah. Yeah, I suspected you had as well. Seems like a good guy. Um, It was a a big old mistake. He owned up to it right away. Um, And you could see on the live feed, he went to go and apologise to the team, trailed by by television cameras. Not an easy thing to do, but he did it anyway. Yeah, it was it was a horrible incident, wasn't it? Really, it was. You could see exactly why it happened. 
um, yeah. you know, he's uh, he's the the am part of that that team. Um, obviously, he's he's a very experienced driver. I think he's competed yeah. about ten times yeah. before, mostly in the GT um, category, which you know, he's won a couple of um, WEC titles in GT am uh, racing for AF Corsa, and it's. Um, it was a horrible thing. He was obviously being squeezed. He was the the meat in the sandwich, wasn't he? Mm. And the the other car was moving across, and I, I saw Tom Christensen um, talking about it afterwards, and he obviously laid the blame squarely at at his door. But you know, all he needed to do, as Tom said, was was just be sort of more uh, calm, I suppose, with the steering input. To, he, the, he was being squeezed, but it didn't need the chink across. But having said that. You're in a race. You're accelerating hard in an MP2 car. It's something you know, you're low down. The view out. You suddenly see this thing, the peripheral vision, moving in. Instinct takes over, doesn't it? And I don't know whether he thought he was past the GT car. Because um, again, say he was a he was ahead of it um, or alongside it. So you know, view out. Could he see it? Blind spot. I don't know. But um, yeah, horrible to see that for the Corvette because they were really running what looked like at that point to a, a fairly certain victory they were quick it looked like they were going to be reliable um despite the 63 car obviously had its problems um we're not quite sure why they happened but that was a rear suspension failure wasn't it um so yeah horrible accident i'm just glad that um, alex walked away from that apart from anything else yeah yeah um so that's le mans i mean congratulations we'll be lucky actually incidentally that um, because it, that put the AF Corsa car in the GTE Pro category into the lead of that. So in some ways, it's probably quite good that the 91 Porsche won the GTE Pro category, um, because otherwise it would have kicked up even more fuss. Mm. Not that it was done deliberately, there's absolutely no suggestion whatsoever, <laughs> but it just, it's not a great colour for um, looking yeah, at it. Sort of. quite right. Um, so well done to all the class winners. Um, the reality is, though, as far as Le Mans goes, we're just waiting for next year, aren't we? That's when it really gets interesting. Um, that's when the hypercar era really kicks off with other manufacturers joining. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, 12 months to wait. Hopefully, if it's as good as it promises to be, we'll have this discussion again, but it will fill a full hour. We'll see. Um, okay, let's do a little bit about Baku. Um, and the big story is just Ferrari imploding in fairly catastrophic fashion uh, again actually so it's the second time in three races that Leclerc has retired from the lead um, and of course in between that was Monaco when his team through a st- strategic blunder threw away the Monaco Grand Prix win um, it's, it's yeah and he's so Leclerc has finished has uh, set pole the last four times um, but just not being able to turn it into a race win. It's reliability that's absolutely hammering um, both Charles and Ferrari's title bid at the moment. Um, it's frustrating to watch because at the start of the season, it looked as though we were in for an epic, another epic, this time between Verstappen and, and Leclerc. Um, now, do you know what? It's still early days. We're not yet into the second third of the season, I don't think. I am beginning to wonder, though, if actually what we're going to see from now on in is a Red Bull steamroller for the remainder of the season. Um, because that car in a race looks fearsomely quick. Um, they had a couple of retirements early in the year, didn't they? But it's been pretty 
pretty reliable since then. Um, how do you think this one looks at the moment? Do you think Ferrari can pull it back? As you say, there has been a, a huge swing uh, from Red Bull or from Ferrari to Red Bulls. And you've got to hope that perhaps it can go back the other way as well. Um, as you say, it seems pretty unlikely at the moment. Um, it would be interesting to see if, I, I don't think it will happen, but it would be great to see a proper challenge from Perez in that yeah. second Red Bull because he is clearly getting on with that car. Um, you know, he's out qualified Verstappen, well, it's only the last couple of Grand Prix, isn't he? Yeah. And it would just be, I, I know, I don't think he's the, the favoured son there, but it would be great if, if he was right up there in the championship battle and we could see a, a sort of internecine battle between the two of them like we did with um, Lewis and Nico um, back in the day, at least. If Ferrari Challenge isn't going to come off, because I, I genuinely, you know, and realise I'm standing in for Andrew Franklin. Like him, I, I, I ever since uh, being a young boy adored Ferrari, and I you know, nothing would make me happier than to see um, Ferrari win another F1 World Championship. So, uh, from a, you know, um, a biased view, yes, I really hope um, Ferrari does um, bring the fight back to them. I was reading something about how they have obviously sort of got to this point now where they are competing for championships and sort of I, I, in it. It seems like they're very much, I know you listen to the F1 Beyond the Grid podcast and, and time and again when you listen to uh, the engineers, particularly on that podcast, and they say how they had to try and build teams up over plenty of years. And obviously Ferrari did it, sort of had the you know, years of pain before Michael Schumacher was was winning um, you know, repetitively. And it's sort of, you know, again and again and again, teams just building up. Mercedes have obviously had the same thing. And it feels like Ferrari is getting there they are sort of we're all getting very hopeful about it but the truth of the matter probably is that they're still building up and it might only be sort of actually you know next year or the even even the year after that they they really are they've got that that real foundation that core of people that can make a car that will really really challenge and win championships um i hope it's this year but it it might be that we're we've got overexcited mm. I think you're. I think you could be right. They, it might be a year too early for them. Um, they've built a very quick car. They've won races, but it might just take a year to build that reliability into the thing. Um, because I mean, they were not competitive last year, um, and so you know maybe they need a season of competing at the front, winning a handful of races before they can really mount a title challenge. But as you say, it would be wonderful if it actually happened this year. Um, let's move on a little bit. Let's not get too bogged down in Formula 1 because really you want to talk about the World Rally Championship, don't you? There wasn't a rally last weekend, but we're not going to let that stop us because that is, if there's a Formula Motorsport that you love above all else, it's rallying, isn't it? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Without question. Um, <laughs> and it's um, uh, been a good good season so far in uh, yeah. I mean, So we've got a runaway leader in the championship uh, in Cali Robin Perra who is just extraordinary. So he's, uh, for those who don't know, he's, he's a, um, this really young... Um, 21. He's, yeah. Um, he's the sort of, you know, the, the Max Verstappen, I suppose, of, um, of rallying. Um, uh, son of a, uh, a famous rally driver as well. And he's been, you know, we know he's been on the, um, the ice lakes uh, since the age of, of six or whatever. So as, as Ozier said, he's, you know, he's not that 
he's not really that new. He's not really a rookie because he's been doing this <laughs> all his life. So, um, uh, but nonetheless, you know, Colin McRae is still the, the youngest world world champion. Um, and Calibron Pair at the moment looks like he is going to absolutely smash that uh, record. And it's his, everybody talks about him being mature beyond his years. And he really is. He just has that eerie calm about him of of a Loeb or an Auger when they were in their absolute pomp and just looked like they or Tanak actually Tanak sort of most recently when he had that season when he won the world championship and it just looked like nothing could face him he knew that he was faster than anybody else and he could drive around at sort of you know 95% and still beat all of them and when he needed to as Loeb would do put in that absolutely monster time through a stage and just blow everyone else out of the water, um, sort of both on the timesheets and, and mentally, really. And I think that's that's what he's he's doing at the moment, which is incredible to see. So he, he won three in a row um, on different surfaces, which is a key point. Um, actually, And also sweeping the gravel on mm. the, the gravel event. I mean, there were slightly sort of mitigating circumstances because there had been a little bit of rain, sort of, it, you could say there were reasons for it but nonetheless to to win from the front is a very difficult thing to do in in modern rallying Mm. Um, you have to spend the first day if you're leading the championship you open the roads on each stage and on a gravel rally that means you're sweeping the loose stones off the top of the surface and yes other cars obviously go through the stage before the rally cars but only the wrc cars will take the lines that they are going to take and therefore um, sweep the road as they say so you are slower and the stage will get quicker as you go down the field so you have to survive that first day in a reasonable position um and then and then it gets easier but um but yeah it's a difficult thing to do yeah very um and for, for one so young in a matter of weeks to win on snow on tarmac and gravel it is extraordinary it demonstrates that he's the real deal the complete package um do you remember maybe what we're we talking 15 20 years ago or something there were specialists, and it was a huge deal for anyone other than a tarmac specialist to win on tarmac or a snow specialist to win on snow. But they're all so good these days that the best guys can win anywhere. Yeah, I think it was, I don't know who it was really that, um, uh, kind of, I don't know who it was that actually sort of ushered in the new era of mm. the, the ultimate sort of all-rounder. It probably was low, wasn't it? Um but uh, yeah, the sort of the years of Gilles Panizzi um, mm. being brought in for the, the tarmac stages and, um, and and having enough time at the end to do donuts on them, hair and things <laughs> like that. Uh, I once met him actually up on. Um, uh, I know this is a sidetrack, but um, yeah. we were doing a, a group test, uh, in fact, with um, cheap hire cars down in the south of France, and we were near the Col de Chirini, And I remember, so we were some somewhere where he says, "Bang, bang." Oh. So, oh, I know what that is. And we drove up there and the Skoda Motorsport team, they were developing the S2000 um, Skoda Fabio and there was Gilles Panizzi in um, old Peugeot overalls with the sort of the badges covered up and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, uh, he's just really cool, sort of outsider um, in an easy up and then they disappeared off up there with sort of the lights blazing in, um, in, the, in the dusk and stuff like that. And it was, uh, anyway, that was my Gilles Panizzi story. But... Fantastic. But there you go. That's why rallying so exciting, isn't it? Um, go out and find an F1 team sort of happen no. to find an F1 team testing would you say no it's so accessible um, so yeah I mean Rovan Pera he's a Finn um, and it looks as though 
okay, there's a long way to go this year. But it does look as though he's going to do what Mikko Hervonen and Yari Matti Latvala didn't manage to do, um, which is win a championship. Those guys, at times, were phenomenally quick, particularly Latvala. But they never managed quite to string together a season. Um, and it would be fantastic if Cali was, was able to do that this year. Um, as I say, a long way to go. But, my God, the way he won those three in a row, it, it suggests he's going to pull it off, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. He's sort of, um, yeah, he was quick. Last year, we saw sort of flashes of that. But um, it feels like he's just, he's learnt, he's absorbed everything and come back with renewed confidence. Well, actually, I say renewed confidence. The, the curious thing is that in Monte Carlo, on the first stage of this year, what has happened looked totally unlikely because he was completely off the pace. He was nowhere and really struggling with the car. And it looked as though this, this dream of, of um, the um, prodigious talent wasn't, wasn't reality. And yet he sort of slowly turned it around through that rally, worked out how to drive the car, uh, got comfortable with it and has, has been pretty much sort of um, unbeatable um, since then. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was quite the turnaround from that opening stage in, in Monty. Um, but everyone was focused on, obviously, the two Sebs at the front of that rally. Um. <laughs> and it was an epic one, wasn't it? It was a fantastic rally. Loeb eventually won. Um, so Rovan Perra now leads the championship. Um, almost twice as many points as Neuville in second, 120 to 65. Um, now, the big frustration here for British rally fans is that twice Elfin Evans, Welshman, Toyota driver has finished second behind Sebastian Ogier, who retired at the end of last season. And so, obviously, you think, well, here we, here we go. It's Elfin's time. Um, and yet, Cali Rovenpera emerges, and Elfin's actually had a fairly torrid season. Yeah, poor Elvin. He's, um, <laughs> he did, and he didn't just finish second to Sebastian Ogier either. I think that's kind of the, the, the thing. He, he really did push Ogier the last couple of years you know it took it right down to um the last round on on both occasions and you know arguably he was leading into the last round um going to Monza in 2020 wasn't it um so yes it's it seemed like his year but it just just hasn't been and that's that's rallying really he's I, I think um Yes, he's made some mistakes. The the one in the last rally, you know, he went through a compression, took a cut, and it just hold his hold his sump, bust the water system. That was that was it. Um, yeah, it feels like all his reliability, his sort of um, measured approach that has served him so well over the last couple of years, for some reason, something is just not right off, and it could just be the, the rallying gods looking down on him and saying, you know, this is this is not going to be your your year, um, which sounds sort of um, um, horribly subjective and sort of you know i know people say that you make your own luck and all that but there is a certain amount of mm-hmm. luck in rallying i think it's fair to say sort of particularly when they're traveling so fast which they are in these cars and and with the new technology in there as well they're all getting used to it um so yes coming back to Thierry Nerville as well in terms of luck i mean he seems to you know have no luck at all he's battling a, a hyundai which we know is behind on development um and tanak proved last time out that it, it can win um although i think everybody was looking at the long saturday stage on that which was extremely um rough in sardinia 
been sort of just hoping against hope that it would get through in the last two stages got cancelled in fact which i think was a massive blessing for tanak and hyundai but thierry noble has been sort of almost a standout performer in terms of just sheer grit um he and his uh, uh co-driver martin Weidegger pushing the car to get to um the time control um during one one run i think it's in croatia and just just collapsing on the ground absolutely exhausted to get this car and it feels like they have been dragging it around the rallies um which is extraordinary to watch and and i'd love it if he's another one that obviously finished second to sebastian Ogier for so many years and it feels like he's probably another one that has thought this is this is my year now this is this is it um, it's my chance and uh yeah it's not looking that way at the moment so yeah rather as with Lamar, we need hyundai to step up a bit more i think and and take the fight to toyota which it looks like they might be might be doing and ford and craig breen yeah breen exactly yeah well let's hope so let's hope for um a little bit more competition it's fantastic to see rov and Perra doing so well um but let's hope the likes of evans neville breen and others are able to mount a proper challenge at times this this season and i think craig breen probably will as well i think that's yeah. sort of he's somebody that's always taken a little bit of time to get used to cars and sort of take those slow steps um up and then we know he's really really super quick i remember sitting next to him into in an r2 fiesta in a snowy unseasonally snowy Greystoke forest um years ago uh when i was running a fiesta st long term i think and he was he was pretty young at the time and all the marshals were just saying who is this guy he's just absolutely incredible i sat next to him and he was it was one of the rides I shall shall never forget um, because he just seemed to find grip where there really shouldn't be in this um, uh, this little um, front wheel drive Fiesta. So uh, yeah, he's definitely got the got the talent, and he's a proper rally nerd as well. He's yeah. a bit like he's a bit like Latvala in um, that extent. So I think you can't help but really like him because he he goes rallying all over the place. He's got a fantastic collection of. Um, old rally cars and um, there's video footage of him driving Metro 6R4 um, I think up over Moles Gap or something in Ireland and it's it's fantastic to see that so I hope hope he has the confidence now he finished second on the last rally and the Fiesta certainly looks like it's um, a fantastic package loads obviously proved that it can, can yeah. win so yes yeah um, good rest of the season in store I hope <laughs> Let's hope so. Do you know what? You're right about Breen being a proper rally nerd. I remember a good decade ago, maybe a bit longer, um, I went to Myra to have a drive in an E30 M3 rally car that ProDrive had just rebuilt. Um, And I took my mate with me, Adam, who at the time was a very promising young rally driver, a contemporary of Breen's. Um, And I took him along with me to have a proper go in the car because I knew he'd be able to tell me more about it than I could. When we got there, ProDrive was there with another car, um, a Group N Subaru Impreza, um, which Breen was there to test. Um, and the moment he clocked the E30 M3, he just dropped what he was doing, came over and had a look at it, and was just so jealous of Adam for getting to have a go in this cool car while he was driving a modern Group N thing. So... From that moment on, I thought, yeah, this guy, he really gets it. He really loves it. So you're right. It'd be, it'd be brilliant to see him winning rallies. Um, we'll see. Okay, well, let's, let's talk a little bit about Henry. 
Um, now, I, I suspect you've talked about how you got into car journalism and your time at Evo on other podcasts. So we won't delay ourselves with that here. Um, more recently, you've been working for Carfection. You do bits and pieces elsewhere, including at Evo and in Bicycle Mags and as well as us. But I guess the most visible stuff you do is at Carfection, where you've been for several years now producing standout films. Um, it's very kind of you. Ah, well, it's, yeah, no, I I really mean it. Um, You must really love doing that because you you do it so well. You have a a really good following behind you now. Um, You just look like you're having the best time. It's, um, it's so different. I still think it's, it's so curious because I've said it before, but it's not what I got into motoring journalism to do. I got into it to to do features in magazines. Mm. And I, I think the, good thing is that i always love the um the visual side of that i always love the fact that magazines are um sort of they're sort of the paper versions of video because you want the words and the pictures to all work together and i, I loved working with the fantastic photographers um that i've worked with over the years and so the video stuff um kind of help I, I i get more input i suppose into the um the visuals and sort of coming up with the ideas and things that we can do um, so I, I love that side of it, I think, as as much as um, the sort of, I don't know, I love crafting the videos, I suppose. That's what's sort of, you know, it's a pain to do. Um, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, <laughs> I was talking to somebody about it the other day, but uh, it, it now almost feels like a holiday to go and do a magazine feature yeah. um, just because of uh, the way that you create them. You still work hard, and it's but it's a different sort of process that you go through to to make them and obviously you get the time to think about things after the event a bit more when you you write them whereas you have to be uh, rather more agile certainly on launches and things like that yeah um in terms of thinking about what the car's like and thankfully i have the experience now to i trust myself to to make those decisions um in the moment and say things to camera that um, i won't regret later um but um no i do I, I really enjoy the end um, product of, of the video making and it's, it does make me feel proud and you get all the feedback straight away as well, which um, as you know from the um, putting it out on the internet, which is both good and bad. And it always makes me really pretty nervous. I have to say when we put a big film out and um, you know, it's, it's um, um, but it's very satisfying at the same time. And it's satisfying. I think the amount that you can now, do and achieve with the the equipment which has come on so much sooner since um i started working with sam riley um at evo back in the day producing the videos for for them um and we've just seen the the equipment that we can get hold of for yes it's expensive but not sort of it's, it's not in the realms of sort of television costs um and yet you can produce some phenomenal looking um um, results and, and images uh, with the drones obviously it's a massive thing but also the just the image quality of the other cameras and things um, so yeah it's uh, it's really fun to be able to to do that and, and I think produce some some fun stuff yeah you're very good at getting into the comments beneath your videos and responding to people um, I mean it's it's probably different for you now because it's all very positive for you as far as I can tell because you you are actually at the top of your game but that is that's something that all of us who put content out there regularly struggle with is that instant feedback and 
I mean, you will have had it in the past where people are just aggressively rude. Um, and probably it hurts because you know that at, on some level they're actually right. I certainly feel that way. You know, when I started, I've, I'm, I'm re- I, I can do it now. I'm not brilliant at it, but I can do it. And But I remember when I just started, like we all were, I was hopeless. And the thing about this game is that there isn't the time or the resource to learn your craft in private before you start putting stuff out there. So the very first time I spoke to a camera, that went out on YouTube to half a million people. It's still there. You can find it if you want to. Please don't. But it's, it's horrendous. And of course, you know, you, you get a hammering in, for it in the comments. Um, and I, I'm perhaps not secure enough or I don't have enough of a hide to just brush that off. It actually does affect me. And I think it does a lot of other people. It certainly affects me. It's, um, and, mm. and as you say, it's the, um, it's particularly anything when I think integrity is called into question because, yeah. you know, I would, I would always, I would hate it to think, you know, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're journalists at the end of the day. And, and I find myself in, in trying to give a, you know, an, an honest opinion of, of cars. I think, um i sometimes probably get accused of um being too lenient being excited about everything which i think is a hmm. perhaps i'm i am a glass half full sort of person and as we've sort of i know i know andrew hicks phrase there are no bad cars and I'm, I'm with him on that there certainly are bad traits and bad things in cars but but fundamentally as well there's there's a view that um you know, not every car is going to be to my personal taste, but I'm well aware that it will be to a lot of people's taste out there. And, and part of my job is to see, um, you know, to to not be subjective in terms of bashing yes. a car I don't particularly like, but actually seeing why other people might like it um, whilst remaining balanced. And, and also, you know, I'm not, you know this is not brain surgery i'm not doing it it's fundamentally i'm doing something that is is fun and it is enjoyable and i tend to enjoy what i do i don't want to um try and be too negative about things unless it's sort of you know unless it's required because um well yeah it's um there are a lot of other things to worry about in the world Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's sort of I enjoy cars and I enjoy driving all sorts of things. I think that's um, the the truth of it. Yeah, yeah it does does hurt when uh, people say horrible things, particularly when I think it's undeserved. But um, but there we go. It's, uh... Yeah, it yeah, it does. Yeah, it does go with the cho- territory. There we go. And we're lucky enough to get to do this stuff. So you know, a little bit of flack from a few people, we can live with it, can't we? You learn over the years as well. I think it's one of the things I. I saw fairly quickly as you say you you put something out there and i was probably lucky enough that it was um things were going out to not a huge audience in the early days and you quickly work out when somebody says um something sort of particularly if it's something i can change or i have control Mm. over um then i'll try and make sure that that's you know something i do every time so the way i look i can't really change (laughs) i used to not sort of i don't i I don't spend as much time clearly as you on your hair (laughs) doing my hair in the morning Um, but um i have learned over the years that just taking a you know the moment to look in the mirror before you go on camera um probably helps a bit even though people probably don't think i do Um, there's a horrible video out there somewhere of um a citroen ds3r 
which I think hopefully is pretty hard to find these days. But um, my word, I was clearly going through a dark time in my life because um, the, the combination of the beard and the massive hair, and, and I clearly didn't look in the mirror when I got dressed in the morning either. So uh, yeah, after that, I thought, yeah, you, you need to just take a, a bit of time because otherwise it weirdly, it, if people are commenting on that, yeah. it's distracting from what you're trying to achieve in terms of I want people looking at the car I don't I don't yeah. know people looking at me so I don't want to be a distraction if that makes sense okay so I think it's quite easy to forget that between Evo and Carfection there was something else um Drive Tribe and perhaps because it was fairly short-lived now we were at Evo together before you left and um prior to that Jethro Bovingdon had been poached to go over and work with Clarkson, Hammond and May at Drive Tribe um, from Evo. And then I remember you taking me outside the office and saying, I'm off, going to Drive Tribe. And I thought, oh my God, everyone's going apart from me. Um, And we just sort of sat back and watched while this enormous thing came into being and it seemed to have so much money behind it. And they were poaching all the top talent and it looked like you had all the cash to go off to Europe and hire racetracks and take time over films. Um, it just didn't last very long. What, what are your memories of Drive Tribe? Um, it's a mixed bag. I think, as you say, it didn't mm. last very long. Um, we, I talked to Jethro about it occasionally. And, you know, we both agree we did some, we did some really cool stuff there. And we got to make some, some good films, uh, which I think still stack up. Um, and it gave us a bit more freedom to do that. Uh, it was obviously interesting working with Clarkson, Hammond and May, not that I spent that much time with them. Um, interesting working as a startup, interesting working in London, because it was something I hadn't really mm. done before. Um, it was unfortunate. I think those those early months, a lot changed very quickly. The, the sort of the, the vision for what it was going to be probably changed, um, changed a lot, um, which is understandable. But then I have to be probably, I don't know how careful I have to be about what I say, but anyway, somebody, somebody came on board in terms of recruiting and there was, there was all sorts of sort of power vacuums and things like that. And they had a different vision for Hmm. what this thing was going to be. And um, very much, I think sort of the, the clickbait side of things was was their thing which is an easy way the whole point of it is easy way to get numbers and boost it and in terms of the more considered editorial content that Jethro and I were doing and Ben Pullman was doing a fantastic job on the production side um Sam doing the videos James Goff all that sort of thing but it just we looked like I think to him a very he wasn't a car person and we looked like a very expensive way of creating content that um you know a, a, var- a video shot on a mobile phone for two seconds could could potentially get as many views and as much as we might say but it's about you know what we're doing is more than that and, and plenty of other people did get it you know it's, it's sort of it was just this, this one person that, that didn't and say uh he took the first opportunity to um get rid of all of us at one um fell swoop and um i was on a i was on a launch actually i was on a lamborghini um performante launch out in italy and i got a phone call to say um 
uh, we're making you redundant. So um, I hadn't driven the car, so I just say, I'd say, do you want me to drive the car? Or not? <laughs> 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 I did. I made a video because it's sort of uh, yeah. it was obviously the professional thing to do, and um, and I wanted to. But uh, but yeah, that was that was the end of that. Well, there you go. I mean, it didn't last long, but on to bigger and better things. Um, and one of the things you've done recently, actually for Evo, was drive the Lotus Amira. You did a long um, road trip into Europe, into some of your favourite roads, down towards Monaco. Um, and since then, all the reviews um, have come out on that car. Lots of videos, lots of written articles. Um, how do we phrase this? It wasn't unanimously praised and adored, was it? I mean, Andrew Andrew gave it an 8 out of 10, which is a, a good rating, a really, really bloody good rating, but he had his reservations. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, there'll be probably by the time this podcast goes, actually, I'm just waiting for the final edit of the Car Fiction film to um, come in. And it's a... I, I fundamentally agree with what um, Andrew said on, on all those those points. I think there's um, we all had huge hopes for this yeah. car, and it is still, you know, it does still deliver at times. It's got some some lovely steering, and um, on the right bit of road for it, it it's um, it's a great thing to drive. Um, I think there's in tighter stuff. Sort of the front end certainly doesn't give the sort of the feedback that I would. Mm. hope for and expect um i know andrew sort of felt the the understeer on on the track um and um and yeah you can still feel it sort of on the on the road in the sort of tighter corners and things like that so um yeah i think we need to try other variants of it as well and we need to try the full production cars as well because that was the frustrating thing and again andrew mentioned it but all the cars that we drove were pre-production cars and so it meant that we couldn't really comment on, you know, the final NVH, the build quality, things like that, which are really, really important for this Emira. So, uh, yeah, it feels like there's more to come because, there are, again, things like the, um, I know he mentioned the, the optional limb slip diff on it, but the change in tyres that you get. Um, so if you put the um, cut two tyres on the sport chassis, then you also get geometry changes with that as well in terms of toe at the front um, mm. and camber on the road. So that, you know, that can make a massive difference to how um, it will feel. So, yeah, it feels like there's, there's more of the story to to tell with that car yet. Um, yeah. And I think the new drivetrain as well, which um, that, I think that AMG drivetrain with the DCT gearbox will, it, it won't mean it feels so tied to previous um, Lotus, mm. and again, will we'll make it feel like a quite a different car. So, yeah, it's certainly not all bad, but I think perhaps people were expecting. Mm. Well, I think we were all we were expecting, and and obviously the um, everyone else was expecting it to be unanimously sort of um, received in with um, praise and trumpets from heaven and all that sort of thing. So, yeah. Mm. No. <laughs> That's right. There's there's much more to to discover about that car, isn't there? Um, we will continue reporting about it. Um, okay. Well, to end this podcast, we I've asked for some questions for you on Instagram, and I've got a whole load of them here. We'll just run through a couple. Um, before we do that, um, I just want to say thank you to JBR Capital for sponsoring the podcast. Um, if you're looking to buy a new or used car. 
go and see what JBR Capital can do for you on the finance side. You'll find contact details in the caption below. Um, please also rate and review the podcast. That's really important. Tell your friends um, and subscribe, follow wherever you listen to or watch the podcast. That really helps. Um, so listen to questions. The first one is from our young writer, Hamir Thapar. Um, I'd love to know his favourite era of rallying as well as which which driver he idolised most. Ooh. Um, wow, that is, that is a really difficult... I mean, obviously, I own a Mark II Escort, um, and I think there is something sort of um, kind of almost slightly sort of heroic about that era. Um, but I suppose I'm... I'm a huge Ari Vatanen fan as well. I, I was lucky enough to meet him. Um, so that feeds into that. And I think the sort of, yeah, it probably is that era, I think, that sort of has inspired me, obviously, to to buy the Escort and, and there's something about Vatanen and the way he drove and the sort of sense of adventure, the sort of the almost sort of Corinthian spirit of, of rallying back then, which I think still exists a lot more now, but probably gets hidden behind um, a lot of the media um but uh yeah i don't know i'll probably regret that um i'm a massive light fan as well um yeah so um yeah but we'll go for go for that good answer good answer um thin ring 09 uh this is an interesting one because our line of work has changed so much in the 15 years or so that we've been doing it what advice would you give to someone trying to become an automotive journalist well um i would say so actually it goes back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of you saying that you know the first video you did was went out to you know half a million people or whatever like that and, and you, you instantly feel rabbit in the headlights i've always said that whether it's writing you want to get into or now obviously the the video side of things practice so write things you you know you don't have to show them to anybody at all um but just the mere fact that you've yeah. written it will it gets you on that road similarly talk to a camera again you, you don't have to publish it there's nobody you don't have to do these things live um and it's that practice that will you'll instantly spot mistakes that you're you're making um and then be able to correct them and go back and do it again and you have the ability to um to do that uh, time and again um if you're going to write i'd say try writing columns um you know the sort of length that goes up on the intercooler even shorter than that um is nice give yourself a word limit because otherwise it's very easy to just keep going on and on and then it makes it difficult to edit um similarly with the with the films you know the if if you have a, a smartphone then you have pretty much all the uh, tools you need to to be able to practice and and actually make a a film these days which is incredible so that and also watch and read but do so critically so find out what you like not to necessarily emulate but just it'll it'll all feed into it but make sure you do so um don't just absorb it you know really be critical Mm. obviously not of my stuff it's it's no 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 Yeah, that's really good advice, though. I, I absolutely um, agree with everything you've said. We've had a few questions about your Clear 182. Um, do you still have it? Is it? What sort of state is it in? Is it fun? 
Um, it's uh, it, it needs an MOT at the moment. Poor thing. Uh-huh. Um, I I do see it. It's it's um, it's there, but for various circumstances, it's it's been parked up um, away from the the house at the moment in, in storage. So yes, I still own it. It's there. I love it a bit. Um, but um, uh, yeah, it hasn't, hasn't seen many miles um, in the last couple of months. So uh, I need to go and dig the thing out. Um, between that and the Escort that hasn't currently got an engine in it, I'm not doing terribly well. But, um, but yes. <laughs> um, okay, final one then, just to wrap things up. Uh, this is from Dogs and Donuts. Um, I'm going to paraphrase the question a little bit, actually, because we know you love cars. We know you love cycling. Um, you do a lot of work for cycling magazines. You you compete as well on your road bike, don't you? Um, have you ever have you ever wondered about combining those? Because are you aware there is a type of machine that has both two wheels like a bicycle and an engine like a car? Any interest? Um, well, actually, one of the things I thought we we might have talked about um, this week was the TT. Um, yeah. which is obviously just just finished as well um and um, Peter Hickman obviously won four mm. races and some extraordinary photos um I've seen of that and so as you can tell I love motorbikes I, lo- yeah. I love the whole sort of you know particularly road racing um which I suppose is the sort of the the most rallying um some extent I think it's fabulous and the Isle of Man is is one of my my favorite places mm. uh, I have never ridden a motorbike um and it was something that um people will probably scoff but i i promised my my dear mother many years ago that i mm. wouldn't and i think it's probably a very good decision i said sort of, at the time i was the last time of asking i think i was driving around in caterhams and i was competing in the british rally championship so i actually thought Do you know what i'm getting enough thrills from my cars that uh, i don't need to go and um learn to ride a motorbike and i think that as much as I like to kid myself that I could just commute on something and just enjoy, I don't know, a Ducati monster or something like that on a sort of uh, a very recreational basis and use it as enjoyable transport um, that wouldn't necessarily get stuck in traffic jams. I know that's not the case. And I would, I would want a motorbike and I'd want to go to track days and I'd want to try and ride it quickly. And therefore I would fall off at some point because I think it is inevitable um, mm. at that point you are in the lap of the gods as to whether you injure yourself or worse um yeah we, i know it's not the you know you don't have to go and ride the tt where there were you know, sadly another i think five deaths this this year but it is dangerous so yes i love motorbikes mm. i totally get them i really do understand why people love them and part of me would love to do it but um yeah um, i have enough else going on that it's something i can i can live without yeah it actually mirrors how i feel about them um well there we go thank you everybody for getting your questions for henry in um and henry thank you so much uh for standing in for andrew really appreciate your time not at all normal service resume next week (laughs) 